It is the most wonderful time of year, isn't it? And the busiest time of year, too, isn't it? It's amazing how many things we love to cram into the month of December. Uh, and now we're about a week in, and you're probably already longing for it to be over, right? Uh, not that it's not wonderful, but it's just so busy and exhausting. And that's why this time of Advent, this, this time of these few weeks before Christmas, is a perfect time for some R&R. And you're thinking, that sounds absolutely wonderful, but do you know how many dozens of cookies I need to bake? Uh, and, and how many presents I still have to buy and wrap? And, and how many parties I have uh, uh, committed to attending and hosting? Uh, and how many decorations still have to be put up? Oh, and it's the end of the year at work, and so there's still deadlines to meet here in December. Uh, and then you have extra services at church. And then you want us to come and help do the outreach in the month of December. A little R&R, yeah, that sounds incredible. Incredibly impossible. But I stand by that. Advent is the perfect time for some R&R. And I'm not talking about rest and relaxation, though that sounds pretty good too. But the kind of R&R that John the Baptist preached about. John was a unique individual. And not because of what he wore and what he ate. Actually, that was pretty common. Uh, to the people of his time, it was really no big deal that he wore camel's hair and, and uh, ate wild locusts and, and wild honey. That, that, that was nothing to them. To, to us, it's weird, but to them, it was common. And that's the point of Matthew including it in our gospel lesson, is to say, John was really nothing special when you looked at him. Just looked like a common guy. But, but what was uncommon and what was unique was the message that he was preaching. His message of R&R &R was something that the people had not been hearing, that their hearts were longing for. And where John preached was a little unique. Uh, you, you think that if someone's got a, an important message to share, where would they go? They would, they would go into the city, right? Go to the capital city of Jerusalem, set up shop on a street corner, or, or maybe go to the temple, or maybe be a traveling preacher and go from town to town to get his message to everybody. You know, catch where he is in our gospel lesson? He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's out in the wilderness. He's 40 miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. That would be like, anyone know where Raymert, Arizona is? Did I really find a place that no one knows where it is? Awesome. It's 40 plus miles or so that way, in the middle of nowhere. So it would be like if, if um, the people here in Gilbert and the area around heard about some preacher. You've got to go hear this preacher out in Raymert. Right? Way out here. Go, go that way, right? But you can't take your car. You've got to walk. Right? So the, the message that, that John was preaching out in the wilderness where people are coming from Jerusalem and all the, all the area were just flocking to him to hear what he had to preach. His message of R&R. So what was it that John was preaching out there in the wilderness? that the people were just so longing to hear. Well, first it was the Messiah is coming. 
That's why John was here. He was prophesied to be that one from who Isaiah talked about, would be the one that would prepare the way for the Lord to come, to, to make the, the, the rough places plain, and, and to make a way for him to come. And so he proclaimed that Savior, that, that Messiah that's been promised to you, to God's people for, for hundreds, thousands of years, he's on his way. And you need to get ready. And his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And what does it mean to Repent. We use that word a lot, but do we really understand what that means? Do we, do we get what that message of John is and, and that God proclaims to us over and over in the Bible to repent? Well, to repent is really two things. Number one, it's to confess that you are a poor, miserable sinner who deserves absolutely nothing from God. But because of your sin in thought and word and deed, all you deserve is, is punishment is hell. You don't deserve any blessings of God. To repent and realize I have nothing to offer to God, but all I have to do and all I can do is plead for his mercy. That's the first part of repentance. To recognize my sin and my need for mercy. But the second part of repentance is that I believe that he shows me mercy. That I believe that he forgives my sins, not because of anything I have done, but because he is good and gracious and has provided the atoning sacrifice for all of my sins. So when John cries out, repent, he's saying, come and confess your sins and that you are not worthy of God's love, but yet believe that he does have mercy on you and that you are forgiven by his grace. And this is a message that the people were not hearing. They weren't hearing this R&R, &R, that, that you repent, and then you have relief. Relief from your sin and your guilt and your shame and your regrets. It's all gone. God removes it from you. And not by what you do, but by what he does. Repent. God invites you to repent because the Savior is coming. Get your hearts ready to receive him. He's on his way. And the people were just clamoring to hear that message. And they were coming. And they weren't just bystanders watching this show. They were in it. They were confessing their sins. They were being baptized by John, where, where they were being given that assurance that, yes, all of their sins were washed away. That, yes, they were right with God. That, yes, they were loved and accepted by him by grace. They were receiving that R&R &R that they needed. The call to repent and the relief from their sins. And they needed to hear it because they weren't hearing it from their religious leaders at the time. They, they were preaching a, a sort of R&R, &R, but it was a do this, follow these rules. And you can earn your righteousness. So follow these rules and you'll get righteousness. This different kind of R&R &R where if you do all these certain things, God will show you or God will declare you to be righteous in his sight when you do these things, when you follow these rules, when you obey these commandments. And John is coming and preaching something completely different. That it's not about what you do, but about what God does. 
That it's not about earning righteousness, it's about a righteousness given by a gracious God. And it was refreshing to their ears. It was joy to their hearts. It was the way for John to pave the way for the Savior to come. And that's why people were traveling so far to hear him and to receive that R&R that John was preaching. But there were some other people who were coming out to John who, who weren't quite interested in that kind of R&R. They, they came that whole way from Jerusalem too, but, but they were inquisitive. They, they were wondering, what is, what is this guy teaching? Why is he gaining such a large following? What's the fuss all about? It's these two groups of religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were, were the religious elite. These were the guys that not only preached the other kind of R&R, the rules and earned the righteousness, they were the living example of it. These were the people that everybody looked up to and said, look what strong, godly people they are because of all the good things that they did. And this John is a threat to them because he's saying that's not how this works. It's simply repenting and receiving the relief that God gives by grace. I mean, it flies in the face of everything that they believe and everything that they teach and everything that they live. And then you've got the Sadducees. These are the political movers and shakers. They don't really care a whole lot about John's teachings, probably, but they want to know what the big deal is. Why are people coming from all over to hear him? Is, it, is this guy potentially a threat to our power? And John knows the hearts of these men. He knows why they are coming to, to see him. He knows what their motives are. And that's why he looks at them, stops his preaching, stops his, you know, repent and receive relief. And he says, you brood of vipers. He calls him a brood of vipers. And he's saying two things there. He's saying, one, you have been deceived by the viper, by the serpent, by Satan. You've been deceived into thinking that you can earn God's righteousness by how you live. You, you've made religion just this outward thing, all about, about, about uh, presentation and performance and power. But also, in calling them a brood of vipers, he's saying that you're the offspring of Satan. You are just like him. You are deceiving others. You, you see why all these people are here? Because they're hearing something they have not heard. They're hearing that they are free from their sin and guilt and shame and regret, not by what they do, but by what God has done. Through repentance, God gives relief. You are the offspring of Satan promoting this religion of earning your righteousness. And then John the Baptist goes on in talking to them. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And that question that he, he poses to them, I, I believe is both rhetorical and sarcastic. Uh, he, he's not looking for an answer because they don't think that they need to flee anything. They don't, they don't think there's anything wrong with them. It's sarcastic because he, he, they're not coming out to repent. They're not coming out to be baptized. They're coming out just to find out what's going on with this John the Baptist. They're not trying to flee from any coming wrath. They think they're fine. And he goes on and says to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, the problem with, with these guys is not that they weren't living good lives. Their lives are very good on the outside. 
The problem wasn't that they had you know, all of these you know, things that they were hurting other people and lying and cheating and stealing. The problem was inside. They were producing fruit. They were producing good works in the eyes of men, but not in keeping with repentance. You see, their lives were squeaky clean on the outside, but their hearts were full of sin and evil, rotting away. And so John says, produce fruit, but, but fruit that comes from a repentant heart. And then he goes on and says, and he, he, he goes at the other leg that they always try to stand on. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. So, so not only did they want to rely on their works, their good deeds, their rightness in other people's eyes to think that they were right with God, but they also loved to point to their lineage. That, that they were good because Abraham was their father. Was, Look, we're, we're in the line of God's chosen people. Of course we're safe. But what John's saying is, God doesn't care who you're related to. If you're not right with him, you're in trouble. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, these are some harsh words, aren't they? John the Baptist is bringing to these Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and it's not just to put them in their place. It's not just because, you know, the rest of the crowd is listening, and, and they're all standing there going, hey, John is really giving it to these religious leaders, isn't he? Right? Well, he's, it's not doing it to gain a bigger following, a bigger crowd. He's doing it because he sincerely desires that they repent, that they would see the error of their ways, and teaching and believing this other R&R of rules and earning righteousness and receive the gift of repentance that God is offering them and to receive the relief that only he could give to them from their sins. But John's not quite done with them. John goes on a little bit more to these Pharisees and Sadducees and everybody standing there listening and says, you know, you guys come out to check me out. <laughs> you want to know what I'm preaching, and you're concerned about me, but, but I'm really not the one you've got to be concerned about because there's one coming after me, the one that I'm preparing the way for, uh, and uh, that's the Messiah. The, guys, the, the, the one that you guys should be, should be talking about and, and pointing forward to and looking for and, and talking to the people about, right? he's coming, and this is what he's going to do. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat, his believers, into the barn, but burning up the chaff, that which is worthless, burning it up with unquenchable fire. John brings this message of repentance. Really to everybody standing there that day. You notice that? That the message is the same to both of these groups. Repent. But to those who were coming, who were longing with, with heavy burdened hearts to have relief, who were ready to repent of their sins, who were ready to receive that full and free forgiveness of God, it was a message of gospel, wasn't it? Repent. Your sins are forgiven. God takes them away and remembers them no more. But to these religious leaders, 
That message of repent didn't, wasn't meant to bring them comfort and relief and peace. It was meant to lead them to see judgment is coming. That this Messiah who is coming is not only going to come to bring forgiveness and peace, but he's coming to be your judge too. Receive him. Repent. The message is the same, repent. But given in a completely different way to these two groups. If you were standing on the banks of the Jordan along with these groups of people, which group would you stand with? Which side would you be on? And I encourage you to be honest with yourself this morning. I'm not going to make you raise your hands and tell me which group you think you'd be in, okay? So you can be honest with yourself. doesn't pay to lie to yourself. You can't lie to God. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. So it's just check your heart today. Which group would I stand with on the bank of the Jordan River listening to John? Would it be the Pharisees and Sadducees? Have you been lulled into thinking that, that somehow the good that you do in your life is, makes you right with God? That because you come to church, because you give your offerings, because you serve, because you pray, because you're better than most people, because you help the poor and needy, that, that somehow God accepts you for all those things? That it's the outward things that that God says, you're right with me. Is it because of who you are, that, that you're a member of a Christian church, or, or, or that I come from a long line of a family of Christians? Is that where you find your confidence to stand before God? Is it the outward things that you are pointing to? If that's the case, then listen to these words of John. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. And the Savior is coming with his winnowing fork in his hand. Repent. And don't just make your works and your words clean, but, but cleanse your heart of the sin and the evil that reside there. But maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're standing with that group with weary, burdened hearts who are coming and longing to hear a message of relief. And if so, hear the words of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent of your sins and see how God takes those sins from you and in place gives you peace, gives you hope, gives you joy, gives you forgiveness, gives you relief. That those burdens have been removed from you and placed on another. That Messiah who has come, that Messiah who has come to carry your sin and your guilt and your shame and your regret to a cross and to nail it there, finished. Those of you who have received the gift of baptism and in that baptism know that you have the assurance of every sin forgiven 
that you are loved and accepted by God, not by what you do, but by what he has done for you already through Christ, that promised Savior who has come and who's coming again. And if you're in that Pharisee, Sadducees group, it's not too late to switch over. (laughs) Because we're still in our time of grace. To repent of our sin. To receive that full and free forgiveness. To receive that relief that only God can give us. To give those sins to Jesus. And to know that we are free. That we can live today in freedom that we can live today in peace with God, that we can live today with joy in our hearts, knowing that I'm loved by God, no matter what I've done in the past, no matter how long I've held on to these sins. When I confess them, I know they are forgiven. Repent and receive relief. You see, Advent is the perfect time for some R&R. It really, really is, because we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas in just a couple of weeks, and we want to remember what that's really all about. It's not about a cute little baby. Right? It's not about, about a, a young couple looking for a place to, to have a baby, you know, and they're going around and can't find this place. It's not about these, just about the shepherds. It's, this is a rescue mission. That's what this is. This is God coming to rescue sinners, coming to rescue us. Repent. Receive the relief only he can give so you can celebrate Christmas for what it really is. And also so we're ready for that second Advent too. Because Jesus is coming again. And we long to be ready. We long to be living lives of repentance. Do do you know that 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 was Martin Luther's first theses of his 95 theses? He wrote that, that a believer's life should be one of daily repentance living in that knowledge that I am a sinner who deserves nothing from God, but yet in his mercy and his grace, he gives me everything. He takes my sin and gives me all these blessings in Christ. Friends, in this time of Advent, seek the R&R that your heart needs. Live in that R&R every single day as you wait for him to come again and to know that on that day, Eternal relief is what you will receive all through Christ, your Savior.